that had always happened for me. And so it was my first real, my first real confrontation with the concept of, of failure. And I remember how devastating it was and how heartbreaking, but I've since learned not to look at it as a failure. But, you know, there's this like Tony Robbins quote that my mom has literally on the fridge because that's my mom. She's a very inspirational, motivational type of mom. And she has this magnet that says, there is no failure, only feedback. And I think that's so interesting because you have to look at it as just another data point. You're like, huh, okay, that didn't work. But it also taught me how to be okay with something not working. And in most, most, most importantly, taught me how to fail up instead of fail down. Hello to all our listeners. I'm Michaela Petty with TCU's Amplify Women in Sales, an initiative from the TCU Sales Center that extends to you and your story. We are a community dedicated to upskilling, empowering, and helping you reach your fullest potential. Today, we have a serial entrepreneur on the podcast. She is one of Forbes 30 under 30 and has a lot to say about life and why having an insatiable curiosity is key to any new venture. You started your first company at 17. What inspired you to be an entrepreneur at such a young age? You know, it's really funny, Michaela, because I feel like I didn't know that I was going into entrepreneurship. I just had this drive and desire to try something. I think I've always been a little bit daring and a little bit adventurous. And I think, you know, when thinking about what I wanted to do in my first, you know, summer off, as as many, you know, freshmen think about, I I didn't really want to go work at a bank or or work at a, a bigger company. I think the idea didn't excite me as much. I think I was interested in larger companies, but I was more fascinated by how they actually worked. And so I came across this opportunity um, at at the college job fair to start your own business through the college propaining franchise. And I decided to be a franchise owner. And I think, you know, I had some visibility into it because my cousin had done um, had done it before and had a lot of success. I think, you know, maybe we're we're naturally a a, a family of, of small business. At least the cousins are. We're we definitely like starting our own things. Um, very independent in that way. Love it. And so I just decided to go for it. I, I wanted to learn, you know, how to run a business. And what I was most excited by was the fact that, you know, the the training program for franchisees, I thought was really rigorous. And I felt like I would be able to learn what it was really like to build a business rather than you know, just what I was learning in school. And I feel like sometimes that's what people don't get visibility into. I think the hardest parts about running a business really are around sort of the nitty gritty details like payroll and worker safety insurance and like all of that. You know, like what what is business insurance? How much do I need? What level? How does one even go about doing that? Yeah. So that is what really, I know it sounds totally like lame, but I definitely was interested in that. I wanted to know, like, what does it really take to start a company? And that's really what drove me to to start College Pro and, and build my own franchise. Um, and so that was very exciting. Wow, I can completely relate. My family owns a wedding venue, and I remember graduating from high school and helping them with it and slowly realizing all those little things add up. You mentioned the payroll, insurance, and it's like, oh my gosh, who would ever have thought all those details go into running a business. It takes a special kind of person to be able to juggle all those different hats, so to speak. 
Well, thank you. But that's definitely what I think being a founder is all about. It's it's just wearing many hats. So you kind of have to love dress up because one day you're a lawyer and then the next day you're a, like someone in fine, you're an accountant and you have to be someone different every day. And so it's actually kind of funny. This is a bit off topic, but when I was young, I wanted to be an actress. I think not, not because I necessarily loved theater, but it's because I just, I loved the idea of getting to do all of these different things. Like in my mind, you know, of course I, I was young, but in my mind, I was like, cool. Like if you, you get to be like a, like a surfer in one movie and then a crime fighter in another. And the idea of doing all of these different things was really exciting to me. You know, it was like something new every day. And I think that's why I love entrepreneurship so much because it does feel like you are doing something different every day. I mean, there are obviously sometimes, especially as you get to a later stage, there becomes a pattern of like regular things that you do. But I think if you really learn to love the process and love the journey, the idea of all that variety for some people can be really scary, but for others, I think they, they eat it up. Absolutely. And I actually wanted to be an actress as a kid, too. So when you said that, it's not weird at all. (laughs) That was my nine-year-old goal as well. You know, go to Hollywood. Totally, totally. Definitely. I remember. I remember telling my dad this and he was like, what actress do you want to be like? And I was like, Angelina Jolie is a good choice. That that would be a good choice. Because she she has cool movies. That's a good choice. (laughs) Angelina Jolie is a great choice. Maybe after you start all these companies, acting can be your next career. Honestly, I think I, I think I would. I think I would. You know what I would love to do? Again, like I'm sorry to derail and take you off topic, but I love the idea of being a producer later. And so I was on this podcast, I think it was about this time last year. And it was an awesome podcast um, called Mission Daily. And they were asking me about, you know, my, my parents and, and how my, my parents thought about my, my role and, and things like that. And like, what does your family think of what you're doing? And it was really interesting because I ended up taking that question back to my mom. Um, or I don't know if it was beforehand. Or after, I can't remember. But I was talking to my mom. I was like, you know, mom, did I always want to be an entrepreneur? Like I've been asked this question multiple times and I'm like, I'm curious, like, do you remember anything? She's like, you know, the fact is you wanted to be an actress and then you wanted to be a director. And, you know, at one point, you know, even with my second company, which, you know, we'll get into, I wanted to be a a magazine editor. And she's like, I think what it all boils down to is you love creating your own little worlds, right? She's like, even when you were a little girl, like, you know, I was like obsessed with Barbies as like most people my age were at that time. And she's like, you love setting up the story more than you loved even like playing with them. You're like, this is everyone's role. You were like, she's a doctor and like, she's the, like the town dentist. And I had like a role for everybody. And like, I would set it up and figure out like what was, how it was going to work. And that to me was the fun part, not actually like playing with them. It was just setting the stage for this little world. And so I think that's kind of what being an entrepreneur is is like it's like you're building your own little universe and you're it's almost like a film where you're casting all the characters to play their roles and you know choosing like the vision right deciding what the future is going to be is like you know how is this how is this story going to unfold and so i think it's you know if you enjoy creating your own narrative and enjoy creating your own story and building your own universe and you like those nitty-gritty details which i think like people don't realize but being a producer is probably a lot harder than most people think definitely um you know especially if you're in if especially if you're involved i think 
it's really similar. And so I would totally do that after this. Totally. Well, my brother is a producer. So if you need the hookup, I'll make an introduction. Wow, we have so much in common. (laughs) We do. I love how you mentioned it was like creating your own world because business is its own ecosystem. It has to thrive on its own, even though it is so interconnected to the world around it through relationships. Moving forward, you started another company your second year of college, right? Yes. Um, So I went into my second year and at the time I had a, a relatively like a like tiny blog in Canada that was like relatively popular and it was getting noticed a bit. It was at a time where no one was really blogging yet. I feel like, well, the way that everyone has an Instagram now is very similar to how everyone ended up like having a fashion blog. It was kind of the thing. So that was like our version of like having everyone having like a, like a Finsta um, or being an influencer. And so it was a bit before that. And so it wasn't really like that popular or cool yet. But I was, you know, one of the youngest Canadian fashion editors to be invited to New York Fashion Week. And coming from Toronto, which is where I'm from, right? I'm from, I'm from Toronto, Canada. And coming from Toronto, it was, it was such a big deal, right? Like, oh my gosh, I'm going to like, you know, I feel like even if you're in the States, going to New York is super cool. And Definitely. so at that age, it's the same thing coming from Toronto. Like, I feel like it's even cooler. And so, uh, you know, getting that opportunity was just, was amazing. and you know, after that, I decided to turn the blog into an actual company. And so I started something called Birdcage Media Group. And what we did is we produced niche, like print and digital content. We're mostly focused on print, but you know, more on that later and, and, and why that didn't work and sort of how to face challenges. But we also hosted events and we did a lot of things in the community. So I think we were able to make a small splash, you know, uh, we drove hype and we had over 50 contributors, you know, handful of members on the exec team. Um, and we we're just like young people really just like pursuing our creative dreams and our creative talents. Um, and I always joke um, with my investors that that was like the creative period of my life. You know how everyone like at some point, like I want to, I want to be 60 one day and be like, oh yeah, I had that creative period in my life. I was an artiste, you know? And so I kind of like see it as like, that was like my creative entrepreneurship. I followed, a, I followed my heart on what I wanted to do. And it was, it was definitely a creative pursuit. And yeah, that one was, that one was a lot of fun, but you know, interestingly enough, and I hope I'm not, you know, eating your next question here, but that one, you know, our focus was really on creating a magazine, a print magazine that focused on people. We wanted to know, you know, how inspiration came to designers. And so, you know, we had an interview with Mark Jacobs, but we didn't interview him about his clothing. We asked him about, you know, this bookstore that he opened, we wanted to be very unique with our content. And so we were working to turn into a print magazine and then the iPad came out. Oh. And so that's an example of like, you know, being like just disruption occurring in the industry. Absolutely. And then all of a sudden advertisers wanted to put their experimental budgets behind this new novel, you know, iPad where you could suddenly have you know, in digital editions of magazines. And as a result, we're like, okay, well, we don't really know what to do because we're focusing on print. And we didn't really have the the, the skills or, or knowledge or background to be able to, you know, pivot it differently because our goal was to create something that was print and we didn't want to sacrifice that. Um, so we ended up shutting down that company. But I think, you know, it 
it being my second company and happening earlier on, I remember how devastated I was. And because I know there are probably a lot of either existing entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs who are going to be listening to this, I think what's so important to convey is that failure is so, so, so important for your journey. You have to learn how to fail. Because I think up until that point, I had, you know, I don't mean this in any kind of way, but I had succeeded in almost everything I had done. Because when you're young, you know, you try to make a club or become, you know, social chair um, of your residence in college, or, you know, you, you try to make a, a sports team and you make those teams. And I think that had always happened for me. And so it was my first real, my first real confrontation with the concept of, of failure. And I remember how devastating it was and how heartbreaking, but I've since learned not to look at it as a failure that, you know, there's this like Tony Robbins quote that my mom has literally on the fridge because that's my mom. She's a very inspirational, motivational type of mom. And she has this magnet that says there is no failure, only feedback. I love it. And I think that's so interesting because you have to look at it as just another data point. You're like, huh, okay, that didn't work. But it also taught me how to be okay with something not working. And it most, most, most importantly, taught me how to fail up instead of fail down. What did you mean by that? Falling up instead of down? So it's kind of one of those like, you know, I once heard something, I don't know where it's from or who to attribute it to, but it's fall down seven times, stand up eight. And the idea is learning how to get back up or not letting that failure get in the way of your future success. And so I learned how to fail forward, how to take the learnings and the knowledge in that experience and translate it into everything I did moving forward. So, you know, after absolutely devastated, you know, I just turned, I think I was 20 at the time. It's hard to keep track at this point, but you know, it was just, it was, it was devastating. I was heartbroken because I feel like you know, when you're young, you're so passionate. I mean, I'm still so passionate, but then even more so about what you're doing and you, you develop these attachment to things because it's like your baby, right? You create this amazing thing and, and you put everything into it. And it like, I treated it as if I was losing a piece of myself when in reality, that wasn't the case. I feel like I was gaining a piece of myself. I was, I was gaining something that would teach me how to fail in the future because failure happens in even small ways all the time. You know, a client isn't always going to want to buy your product. An existing client might stop buying your product. Um, an investor might not invest in your company. You know, an employee you might lose. And those are things that, if you learn to just treat them as, you know, things that happen, they're just occurrences. You know, they happen all the time. They happen to everyone. As long as you, 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 like, I feel like if you failed before, those things don't seem like such a big deal. You realize that it's just, it's just like the process of building a company. And also if, if you try an initiative, let's say we wanted to do something new in the company or we wanted to launch a new product line and it didn't work, you learn not to be devastated about it. You're like, this happens. And like, let's learn from it, figure out what didn't work and use that learning for the future so that we can grow and succeed. And so I think it made me a much stronger entrepreneur. You, you really just develop a thicker skin and you learn to sort of embrace failure when it comes and just move on from it really quickly. So did that help you when launching your third company a few years later? The experience of, okay, I can handle this. 
even if it didn't go the way I intended it to? I think it definitely, I would say it helped more with, with the fourth company. It helped more with Perksy. The reason being is because I was actually a co-founder of the third company. So I wasn't the one who, who launched it. There was already a founder and then I joined as CMO and I joined as co-founder. That was really interesting because it was the first time that I had, you know, co-founded a company and been responsible for the success and the growth of the company, but not primarily. Like I was, you know, kind of like the secondary person there. And I think that's really interesting because there's always, you know, it, it depends if, if you have two co-founders, it's a bit different than having a founder and a co-founder. And so in this scenario, it's a founder and co-founder dynamic. And, you know, I, I think it really, it really taught me a lot. You know, it taught me how to look at things from an outside perspective to almost like, be a part of these decisions, but also watch them being made. It definitely, I think the failure definitely helped. And what's interesting is it was Birdcage that it was my second company that led to the third. It was that founder reached out to me and said, you know, I didn't, I know it didn't work out the way you wanted to, but you still had a lot of success. Like you drove a lot of hype and, you know, you, you grew it a lot. A lot of people knew what it was. They came to your events, everything. And, you know, I'd like you to do the same thing here. And so I think that's what really, what really is important to remember about failures. There's always, there's always something that comes from it. It's like that, you know, again, I'm like such a quote girl. It's kind of like lame, but it's like when one door, it's like when, it's like, it's also just like idioms. Like I'm like, when one door closes, another one opens. And it's true. It's just so true. Like you, you have to figure out where the silver lining is. As, as an entrepreneur, if you want to leave that lifestyle, you have to become really good at finding silver linings because there are a lot of clouds. So just focus life on being like, where are the silver linings? So what did you do after 460? You went from there. What's your next step? So after I exited 460, um, what I decided to do was go back to school. So I found this like back door into Harvard and it was through a Harvard Extension School that enabled me to not just take online courses, which anyone can do, but also apply for a full-time degree program. So I decided to do that. And I got in. I was very happy about that. I, I got an apartment in Cambridge. It was very cool. And I feel like because I was a little bit older at that point, I was so much more ready to go back to school. And sometimes I feel like more people should take gap years and take some time to sort of just see the world and experience the workforce. Like go get an internship and see what it's like out there and and see what interests you most. Because when I went back to school the second time, I was like, I know what I want to do now. Like I I like this this path and I want to keep going as an entrepreneur and I'm going to keep learning things that are going to help me become a better entrepreneur. And so I focused on that. I was concentrating in psychology, kind of like crafting my own little behavioral sciences area of study. And I, I was focusing on on marketing as well. And I was going to claim that as my minor. And so I, it was through the, the marketing classes that I actually came to, to learn about market research. And that is what led to Perksy. Now, can you explain a little bit more about your current company, Perksy, to our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So Perksy from a consumer side. So if you're listening as someone who's an everyday consumer, you're probably not going out and answering brand surveys or participating in brand research. But every single product or advertisement or marketing that is out there gets tested with consumers. And I realized, I was like, wait, no one my age is really 
doing this? And I, I started asking around being like, are you guys answering brand research? Like, are you participating? And I was like, hmm, it sounds like everyone's saying no. And if that's the case, who are brands really talking to? So I decided to build a solution that would help connect brands to a real and representative sample of everyday consumers. And I really wanted to focus first and foremost on millennials and Gen Z. We now do you know, all audiences, but it really started out as younger audiences. And we decided to do that through a mobile app. So with the Perksy app, you can answer these immersive, interactive questions from brands in a format called Stacks. Like we, we don't even use the word survey. We think it's like a dirty word. And you collect points for every stack that you answer. And then you can redeem at over 100 participating retailers like Nike, Nordstrom, Sephora, Delta Airlines, etc. Um, and then on the brand side, you know they're collecting all of your responses. So one thing we never do is we never reveal personal data. So no one will ever be able to... Identify. Like if you downloaded the Perksy app and we're answering questions, no one would ever know it's you. But they might know that it's you know a female who lives in Texas, uh, does this. Um, maybe they know you have a podcast because you volunteered that information. So it's kind of like, identity removed, but they still get the answers they need. And you can contribute to brand research. So we have a platform where brands can create and design their their research. Um, They can add questions to their surveys. Then they can hyper-target their audience, uh, send it to you, and then analyze the data in real time. So it helps them make better, faster decisions. But the most important thing is they're talking to real people. Wow, that's fascinating. And it's really interesting how you merged your psychology degree with your marketing background. They both went together. And then, of course, you started a company following in that entrepreneurial spirit of yours. (laughs) I love how your mindset was, how do we understand these consumers? Because companies have to understand who they're selling to. Absolutely. And I just felt like, even with products that I used, I was like, I wish someone would have asked me my opinion on this first because I would have told you to do X, Y, and Z, right? Or like this packaging or like, this is too expensive, but I would buy it if it were like $2 cheaper, like things like small things like that. And that is the information that brands need to know. And so I feel like with Perksy, it's not just about getting the points, right? You're contributing to something that's a lot bigger. Like you're you're legitimately, like I think sometimes with these consumers, like I, I don't know, I think some of them realize it, some don't, but sometimes what they don't know is like how important their contribution is that what they're saying will actually influence whether or not a brand moves forward with like a particular billboard or like ad campaign or put the product in market based on the information that they provide. And I think that's pretty cool. Like that's pretty impactful, right? To know that you've said something and brands like these huge companies have actually made a decision based on the fact that you contributed that information. Oh, absolutely. Going back, if you could know one thing at the start of your entrepreneurial journey, what would it be? I would say you don't have to do the things that everyone else has done just because they did it and it worked. I think that's the most important thing. I think one of the the things I wish someone would have told me when I first started was you can do things on your own terms. You're building something entirely from scratch. Like the whole point of it being new is the fact that it's never existed before. So there is no playbook. I mean, there are kind of these themes and patterns that help make successful entrepreneurs. But at the end of the day, it's really just like listening to your intuition and and trusting your gut. You know, the worst advice I've ever gotten was, I get asked this question a lot. I had an advisor a long time ago in my second company 
who once told me, don't become friends with your employees. And uh, yeah, and, and it's, it's really interesting because like, you know, if you think about it, I mean, like there are arguments to be made that there's always a line to be drawn, but I like that I have a relationship with my employees and that I care about them. And, you know, and I feel like we care about each other and they know that I have their back. They know that I'm looking out for them and I want them to succeed. And I'm in very much invested in their success. I think like, you know, having that extra level of, of sort of even like camaraderie, like that friendship, it does make a big difference. And I just know that that's the kind of company I want to run. And maybe that didn't work for someone else, but for me, it works. And, you know, I've had success with it. And that kind of goes back to doing things on your own terms because you feel in your heart of hearts that it's the right thing to do. Um, It's the right way to build a company. And so, you know, I think in tandem with that, another piece of advice, which is funny because I'm literally going to like, like, counteract everything I said was not to listen to everyone's advice, right? It's, it's to learn. So like my advice is don't listen to everyone's advice, but you have to learn who is the right person to listen to. Don't just read something in a book and think that that's the thing for you. I think use it to like inform your own opinions on what you feel you should do by hearing what's possible and what path you could potentially take, but ultimately making the decision for yourself of is this right for me? Is this right for my employees? Is this right for my company? And I think your team will have a greater respect for you as well as a leader when you they know you're making decisions for that reason. And that really ties into your TED Talk you gave earlier this year on social capital. And you were talking about relationships. You obviously took your own advice with your company. Don't take the emotions out of business. Leave them in. And you caring about your employees shows that. Absolutely. So, well, A, thank you so much for listening to that. Um, makes me very happy. Um, I was very excited to, to get the opportunity to do that. So yeah, back in February, I gave a, a TEDx talk at, at Rutgers and it was really exciting. I mean, I got to talk about something that I'm really passionate about, which is the role of emotion in business. I feel like we've been taught for so long that emotions don't belong in business. And, you know, it's no surprise that you know, you have some of these legacy companies that, you know, don't always have the kind of culture that resonates. You know, they say like, oh, well, millennials are looking for, you know, different types of cultures. And like, you know, there was this, this dog, like this, uh, I guess there's this perspective and narrative a little while ago that was like, oh, millennials are, are hard to hire and hard to work with. Like these young people have a very specific way of looking at things. And I think if you think about it, it's like a lot of millennials just want to feel supported. They want to feel like they're part of something bigger, you know, they want to have work-life balance. You know, I think they, they want their work to be really meaningful. And I think that if you are a leader, ensuring that you're adding that emotion to business, being like vulnerable at times can be really comforting to other folks. Right. And, you know, I don't pretend to know it all. And I think if, if you're honest that way, and if share how you feel, it goes along, it goes a long way. You know, I'll give you a difficult example, one that was, you know, very tough for me. I would say like the hardest thing about running a business is being like inevitably every business owner will face this is having to let someone go or having to fire someone. Sometimes things just don't work. It's just like it, it's nothing. It's it's not always about the person, uh, you know, it's just sometimes things don't work. Sometimes people aren't always the right fit and you can't foresee it and you have to make decisions for the business. And I remember, you know, I was, I was once told like, 
you know, be very stern, follow the script, you know, just like, don't be emotional, just, just get it done, rip off the bandaid and get out of there. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell this person how difficult this is for me and how I wish I didn't have to do it. And, you know, tell them how much, you know, their contribution has meant to me and, you know, how important they've been to the company. And that unfortunately is a decision that we have to make. And it's, it's really difficult for me to make it and kind of go from there. So I think, I think that aspect of things is very, very, very important. I think it's important to be emotional and bring that in. And when you build emotional capital with others, often through, you know, storytelling and and personal anecdotes, which kind of goes back to the friendship thing, right? That's how you build a friendship. You you sit down with people, you know, let's say, let's say you and I went to go grab a coffee. We tell each other stories about our lives. That's what we would do in order to build a relationship. And I do believe the same thing should go in business. I think it's important to develop a connection with other people because human beings, we're inherently emotional and we want to connect. And business is an inherently human and doing business since forever, like even think back to, to old trading posts, right? I'd be like, all right, I'm trading you this, this beaver pelt and you're going to give me those magic beans or whatever. But I, I would say that, you know, being able to, to recognize that business is inherently human, which makes it inherently emotional because that's what makes us human. The fact that we, we have emotions, it's, it's important to recognize. And I think trying to emulate business leaders who don't show emotion, I don't know that that will build a founder the kind of success that they're looking for. Emotional connection is what drives business. And I really feel that companies are learning to steer away from that instead of how companies were run maybe 20, 30 years ago. As more millennials get involved, you start to see companies having a heart. And that's really empowering. I agree. It's even like caring about you know, what's, what's going on in society, caring about, you know, important, you know, cultural movements, societal movements, like it, it's being involved at a community level, at street level. Those things also represent heart, right? It, it's, it's really important. And I think, you know, when you, when you give your, your business a heart, you will attract the kind of people that you want working for you. Um, because you want people who have heart, you want people who are emotional, and who aren't afraid to to share their stories and and to to build those kinds of deep deeper connections. So I think because I'm able to be transparent with my team, I'm able to to share what's on my mind and what I'm thinking about, what I'm feeling about, and I'm able to connect with them. As a result, it, it creates a lot more trust. And I know I can trust them. They know that they can trust me. And it builds a tighter knit team which is so, so, so important, especially in the early stages of a business. That, like, you need to have that. It almost needs to be a family-type relationship of everyone working together, like the startup companies where you are depending on each other for sales and for everything. Something new is popping up every day. That's exactly it. I would describe it as a family. And I think that some people might not, but I am one of those founders who absolutely sees it that way and feels that in those times, like think of this, like we, we've actually doubled our business during COVID and we were able to band together as a team. And we were like, we will get through this. We'll do what needs to be done. And it's because we, we feel like a family and we trust each other and we have each other's backs. And I think in like 
it, it really starts to show through in the difficult times. If you have a good relationship with someone, when when things get tough and when things get hard or scary, you're all there for each other and you can support one another. And it, it turns out much better. Wrapping up our interview, 60 seconds. What do you want our listeners to know? So I feel like everything that I would want to communicate, I feel like on some level, I already have. If I had to summarize, I would say, don't be afraid to be human in business. That's that's the main idea. Being human is being emotional. Being human is building connections. Being human is making mistakes. And so don't be afraid to make mistakes. Being human is, is failing in some way, shape, or form. So all of these things that I've talked about, whether it's you know, failure, overcoming obstacles, um, you know, building relationships, being emotional, making mistakes, listening to your own intuition instead of trying to follow the path of everyone else. At the end of the day, it just comes down to being human and accepting that, you know, you're a human on this planet and you're building a business. And that's part of the journey that we're all on. And it's okay to have all of those things that make you human. You don't have to be a robot. And I feel like there was a stage in my life where I thought that's what I needed to be, but I, I don't, I don't believe that anymore. I think I stamped that out of myself, you know, some time ago. I'm not afraid to be human anymore. I'm not afraid to make mistakes. Um, I embrace being emotional. I embrace any kind of failure, and I think it's made me a better entrepreneur in the long run. No matter your preferred job title, whether that be an entrepreneur or working for a Fortune 5, embrace the humanity that unites us all. Business at its core is very human, and the companies that embrace this, instead of robotic rules and regulations, will be the winners in the future. According to Nadia, emotional capital is a vital key to thriving in the future ecosystem of business. Let us all embrace this and change the corporate world for the better. Like what you hear? We want to hear from you. Please hit subscribe and follow our page on LinkedIn and Instagram. Links are in the bio. This is a community of many voices uplifting and inspiring. I'm Michaela Petty, and join us as we amplify. Amplify.